7 of October, I was in Las Vegas, actually. I was uh, in an amazing hotel in my honeymoon with my wife. And I immediately started to search for flights. And then the first flight I get my hands on, I fly to Israel. The open threat destroyer. Trailer commander has achieved the In this episode, we'll take you from a honeymoon in Las Vegas to the skies above Gaza and the tunnels underneath them. But first, my name is Major Libby Weiss, and you're listening to Mission Brief, the official podcast of the Israel Defense Forces, where we take you behind the scenes, introducing you to the soldiers and officers defending the people of Israel. I'm recording this on November 9th, 34 days since Hamas attacked Israeli communities in the south of the country. In Israel, the days since that attack have been a combination of grief and determination, of remembering the fallen and fortitude for the path that remains ahead. A spirit of unity and solidarity has swept throughout the country. Since entering Gaza, the IDF has lost over 30 soldiers in combat while fighting Hamas. The soldiers that are fighting come from all walks of life from 18-year-old soldiers just starting their mandatory military service to 40-year-old reservists who left their children, homes, and jobs to fight in this war. IDF soldiers are in the center of Gaza in close and complex urban combat. We wanted to bring you the story straight from the front lines. Today, we're going to take you into Gaza, from above and below. We'll talk to two officers who woke up to the news of the Hamas attack on the morning of Saturday, October 7th, and have been fighting back ever since. One of the most challenging aspects of fighting Hamas is their use of human shields. Rather than investing in the people of Gaza, Hamas has literally sunk money into the ground, building networks of concrete tunnels hundreds of miles long, all under the Gaza Strip. These tunnels aren't used by the people of Gaza. They are solely there to help Hamas terrorists, supporting their deployment, attacks, and weapon storage. As a matter of fact, in many cases, they end up harming the people of Gaza. In one example, an IDF strike on Ibrahim Biari, a senior Hamas commander, led to the collapse of buildings around him. Hamas had simply dug out their supporting structures, literally undermining their own people's security. The IDF knows about the tunnels. We've been training for them. More specifically, Major T has been training for them. Or had been. Until he retired. Hi, my name is Major T, and I serve in the Battalion uh, 614 in uh, the Combat Engineering Forces. I've been serving uh, in the Army for nine years. I was a company commander, and then I retired 21 of September. On the 7th of October, I was in Las Vegas, actually. I was uh, in an amazing hotel all day in my honeymoon with my wife. That's when it all started. The first notifications of rocket alarms or something sadly, we are getting something like that regularly. I didn't want to come to Israel because I thought it's something ordinary. But when I understand that Israel is at survival war, there was no question. And I immediately start searching for flights. And then the first flight I get my hands on, I fly to Israel. This story, soldiers overseas dropping everything and coming back to fight, even in the middle of their own honeymoon, is shared by hundreds of Israelis around the world. Here's what Major T actually does. As a combat engineer in wartime, we are responsible of open some paths, open some trails to the other military units. After we open those, we're coming to the center of the urban places and starting 
destroy every terrorist infrastructure and facilities with our equipment. We have some bombs, we have some rockets from our shoulders, and that's what we do. That's what the combat engineering do, is opening paths and rest for the other forces. In the center of the urban places, we're searching for tunnels, we'll destroy all the terror facilities. In other words, when soldiers need to get somewhere, especially in complex areas like the dense urban environment where Hamas places its equipment, Major T and his battalion get them there. They are experts in demolition, in subterranean warfare, and bomb disposal. They are exactly the type of people you need when moving into Gaza. Speaking of which, let's talk about Hamas and their tunnels. Hamas is a terror organization. They know we have air superiority in Gaza Strip. And if you don't want to die from an airstrike, you need a tunnel to make all these terrible things. To describe the tunnel, it's an underground city as described. Have you been in New York City underground train like there without the train? It's a city under the ground. Part of the reason that this is so challenging is where the tunnels are located. Hamas intentionally builds these tunnels under homes and hospitals. And that requires precision and care when trying to dismantle them. I think 90% of the tunnels we found, it's near houses and near mosques and near kindergarten. We know Hamas is cowards and we know they're using their civilians to shield themselves. And that's what they do. The tunnels is near civilians and near civilian facilities and humanitarian facilities, hospitals, and mosques, and kindergarten, and the houses of regular people. It's hard not to be affected by these scenes. Nearly every soldier and officer we talk to mentions how tragic this is. Major T was no different. Emotionally, inside of Gaza, is just a sad picture of regular civilians that terror organization control. It's just sad to see, as I described before, how a regular People home, really regular, like in every place in the world, really regular home, have a tunnel in, the, in his garden. This interview was conducted by phone since Major T was, at the time, in the Gaza Strip. Unfortunately, he got called away at this point, so we'll have to have him back to talk through their tactics and how they deal with the tunnel threat another time. The first time I saw the inside of a Hamas tunnel was in the summer of 2014. I was a young lieutenant, and just as we are now, Israel was fighting to protect Israeli civilians against Hamas. At the time, the threat of attacks via tunnels was new and daunting, in particular because Hamas tunnels reached into Israeli territory. In order to show the world the gravity and sophistication of the threat, the IDF opened a tunnel found underneath one of Israel's Gaza border communities, where we could bring civilians. I wasn't really sure what to expect the first time I walked in. I remember being equal parts amazed and terrified. The tunnels themselves were an impressive feat of engineering. They were composed of uniformly measured slabs of cement, wired for electricity, and big enough to move comfortably. As I looked down in the tunnel into the darkness, I remember thinking, the other end of this tunnel is in Gaza. These same sophisticated and elaborately mapped tunnels are the same ones that exist today throughout the Gaza Strip, hundreds of meters beneath the surface. This is the battlefield our soldiers face. The ground forces are not in this alone. One hallmark of this war has been incredibly tight-knit cooperation between the Air Force, the Navy, ground forces, and intelligence. Here's what it looks like from a few miles off of the ground. So my name is Ar. I'm a major as a RPA operator in the Israeli Air Force. 
RPA stands for Remotely Piloted Aircraft. And I have been doing this ever since 2015. I joined the Air Force in July 2014, right at the beginning of a Protective Edge. I was a, a cadet in the Israeli Flight Academy for a year. And then I was transferred to the RPA Academy, finished uh, the course there, and I was placed at the 210th Squadron, which is called the White Eagle Squadron, that flies uh, Heron TP, which is now the biggest RPA in the Air Force. Within the IDF, drones have been playing an increasingly important role over the past decade. Here's what they do. So during regular times, the main mission of the squadron is reconnaissance missions. We do have special operations that we also take part of by making sure that the forces on the ground are kept safe. But the main job is reconnaissance and basically building and enlarging the bank of targets uh, that we have when there's a war to know where the enemy is at, where are the troops, their equipment, where they are and to have a better understanding of what goes on. Pre-war is always focused on the war. What doesn't work during peacetime will never work during wartime. In other words, Major R and the 210th Squadron spend time between operations, gathering intelligence, and preparing us for operations just like this. Which brings us again to October 7th. On the morning of October 7th, it was Shabbat, right after Sukkot holiday, the first uh, red alert alarm hit at 6.30 and I was in my apartment, just the alarm woke me up pretty early. I tried to call my brother, my little brother is also an RPA pilot in the Air Force. And when he told me that he is going to his squadron, I understood that something's bigger is happening. I immediately took off to the squadron during my ride to the squadron, the news started to come about the massacres and about the kibbutzim and the moshavim and the party that was taking place in Reim. And the first thing that hit me was the fact that I have friends there. I have friends who live in the Gaza envelope. I have friends who went to the party on Shabbat. The immediate feeling was a combination, just complete shock that this is taking place. And also a great, great, great amount of responsibility that just immediately was placed on my shoulders. So he jumped into action. Our first mission was to put as many airplanes as we can in the sky with the most amount of fueling that we can put in them and to have our systems ready for anything that will go on. And from that point on, for I think something like 27 hours, I either flew aircrafts or commanded the soldiers and the officers Here's how a typical mission goes for the drone operators. Pay attention to how much of this is driven by the forces that are on the ground. Every flight begins on the ground with all of the pilots, all of the operators conduct a briefing. We go through where the troops are, what were the last event in the past two hours, what happened to the troops, where have they stopped, what is their mission, what are we facing for the next few hours, working with them. We go through the radio, we go through what are the call names for each of the troops. The next thing we'll do is we'll understand the intelligence, what has been going on with the enemy and how the enemy and our troops have faced, what was the result of them facing each other. 
That's the role that drone operators are in. They're the eyes in the sky that create operational flexibility for the troops in the mud. This is exactly where Major T and Major R meet. We know that Hamas, they have tunnels under the ground. So we go through where the tunnels are and where the targets are. And we make sure that we go through all of the information that we can in order for the flight to go as smoothly as possible. From above Gaza, the first thing that you see is how everything is so packed together. And there is a lot of civilian buildings next to operational Hamas buildings or training areas. We see that they have many of their command centers placed either inside of hospitals or kindergartens or schools. We see that many of the tunnels go either under those facilities, so under a kindergarten, under a supermarket, under a school. And we'll see that most of the openings are either very close to a high building, which they can go to the roof and scout for our forces. Most of the targets that we've hit, they look like regular buildings, but in them they had computers and servers and they had either guns or equipment for their troops. In the earlier phases of the war, as soon as it was apparent that ground forces were going to need to enter Gaza to dismantle Hamas, the drone pilots focused on reducing the threats to the forces when they entered. At the beginning of the war, when we were working mainly on making sure that when the troops go in, it will go as smooth as, as, as possible, we were working very hard on finding exactly where the missiles are, where the openings are, where the ventilation openings are, in order to make sure that prior to our troops and our soldiers going in, we'll hit every target that threatens them. For instance, I found two missile batteries. One was placed right next to, uh, right behind a school, a meter or two away from, from a school inside the school's yard. And another missile battery that I found was very close to a hospital. And the reason that they do that in, intentionally is because they hide behind their civilians and they put their own people at risk just so it'll be hard for us to attack their targets, their capabilities. Hamas's tactics rely heavily on entrenchment in urban areas, using the local population as a human iron dome, against their will. But the Israeli Air Force and Major R take every feasible measure to reduce civilian casualties. Prior to the ground operation, each time that we had a target that we know that is going to get a hit, we scan the surrounding of the target and we make sure that no one is there. If we see people who look like civilians or if we understand that it's a civilian, let's say, activity, so they just walk down the street or they carry their groceries or bags, then we will hold on the attack and we'll make sure that the target is cleared completely prior to us firing at it. Of course, this isn't just an Air Force task. The IDF invests significant efforts in keeping civilians out of the line of fire. We have people who are in charge of sending text messages and calling the people. And there is also an Air Force mission where a plane, an aircraft, will lay out paper envelopes and let the people know that the area that they are at is going to get bombed because Hamas has targets there and that we are telling them to, to leave to be, to be safe. Let me stress this. 
At a point where every single flight counts, the IDF prioritizes flights to warn the population to evacuate to the South over actual attacks. By the third week of the war, the IDF had dropped over 1.5 million flyers asking civilians to evacuate South. Other parts of the military had placed over 4.5 million pre-recorded phone calls and sent millions of text messages. There were also some 20,000 personal calls placed by the IDF intelligence asking civilians to move to the South towards safer humanitarian zones. But as we said, Hamas's tactics depends on Gazans being in the line of fire. So that's not always that easy. We do know, mainly because we've seen it during our reconnaissance missions, that Hamas is actually keeping the people, their own people, the, the Palestinians in Gaza, inside the war zone, either by threatening them or actually blocking roads in order for the people to not have the capability to, to go outside and past. We saw trucks that actually just blocked main roads. It's not just the trucks stopping people from moving. Another thing we saw was, besides the trucks that blocked the roads, we saw inside a school that was very close to Shifa Hospital, which is a very big hospital in Gaza, which we know that underneath it is a command center of Hamas. So we saw in the school that after there were text messages that were sent to the people in that neighborhood, in that area, that Hamas actually was standing on a road right next to the school, telling the people to go inside the school. The IDF has scaled up efforts to enable humanitarian aid from the international community to get into Gaza. Since October 21st, more than 750 trucks have entered the Gaza Strip with supplies for the civilians. As Major R said, our war is not with the people of Gaza. We will do whatever we need to do in order to protect the people of Israel and minimize the risk to civilians. Before I sign off, let me ask you for a quick favor. The media battlefield is not nearly as dangerous as what Major T and Major R face, but it is an important one. If you've enjoyed these conversations, take a second and leave us a review or a rating. After that, share it with your friends. It helps us keep this conversation going. My name is Major Libby Weiss, and this was your second mission brief. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Mission Brief produced by the IDF. We hope this conversation sheds light on the experiences and challenges of those who serve and protect our country.